You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. We often discuss the science behind our understanding of waterfowl ecology and the habitats they need, and then we use that information to develop and guide our conservation efforts. Frequent listeners of this podcast will recall many of those episodes where we've had fun talking about the neat neat aspect of waterfowl ecology and all the science behind that understanding. But today, we're going to be shifting gears a bit and talk about some of Ducks Unlimited's on-the-ground conservation work. We're going to be discussing this work in an area that most folks probably don't often think about immediately as being important to our conservation mission. Now, we are going to be going out out west to California, but not to the places that most waterfowlers might think of whenever we say California and waterfowl in the same sentence. We're going to be going to the San Francisco Bay and talking about the work that we do in that region, as well as other nearby portions of the California coast. To help us with this conversation, I'm happy to welcome in Dr. Renee Spence, our Ducks Unlimited regional biologist out in San Francisco Bay and the California coast. Renee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Renee, for for our listeners, let's start out with just a, a brief background on on your history, your, your personal uh, background, professional career. How long have you been with Ducks Unlimited and kind of how did you how did you make it to the organization? Sure. I started my studies in biology and ecology uh, out in the Chesapeake Bay, uh, although I am a California native, so made my way back to UC Davis for my doctoral studies in ecology and in particular wetland restoration ecology. I um, taught a couple of classes in biology and conservation and uh, landed an interview with Ducks Unlimited about 12 and a half years ago and have been there ever since. I really am passionate about conservation and the work that we do at Ducks Unlimited. And it is a lot of fun to work in San Francisco Bay and coastal California. I have to ask you about UC Davis because we've had Dr. John Eady on a couple of episodes. Did you happen to work with him there at UC Davis or were you just in the same department? And I'm sure you would have run across him there, but were you one of his students by chance? I actually was not one of his students. And because my background is more plant focused, plant ecology and wetland ecology, I actually did not encounter Dr. Edie until after um, I finished up my studies at Davis. I did not know that. That's kind of a that's a neat thing to learn about there. Um, we're, we're very, very good. So you've been with Ducks Unlimited for 12 and a half years. You're a regional biologist out there. And I guess for those folks that may not be familiar with uh, with kind of the way we're set up out there, uh, you were telling me here beforehand that, that you actually work out of our Western Regional Office in Rancho Cordova. Uh, I guess, uh, I think it's a suburb of Sacramento. Um, and then, but we do have some type of a field office closer to the California coast. Tell us about that. Yes. So 
basically we have a conservation area team that focuses on San Francisco Bay and coastal California. And that team is stationed out on Mare Island, which is right near Vallejo, which is in North San Francisco Bay. And um, all of us focus on San Francisco Bay as our highest priority and also work up in Humboldt Bay and down in Elkhorn Slough on the central coast near uh, Santa Cruz, Monterey. Renee, let's talk about each of those areas in a bit more detail, because as I, as I introduced, most people may not think of the California coast as being very important to the work to, well, to waterfowl or the work that we do. But starting with the San Francisco Bay, give, give our listeners an idea of why that area is important for waterfowl and why Ducks Unlimited is investing in it. And then we'll kind of do the same thing for each of those other areas. Sure. So San Francisco Bay is a Ramsar designated site of international wetland importance. It is home to about half of the diving ducks using the Pacific Flyway. Obviously very important for dabblers as well. And its importance varies a little bit. It it is contiguous with the Central Valley habitats that folks are probably a little bit more familiar with. And how important it is varies a little bit on what kind of water year we're getting out here in California. So this year, as an example, has been really dry. We haven't had any rain uh, except two freak showers in August, and uh, which never happens in California. Uh, and so this could potentially be another dry year, in which case we might expect to see more waterfowl shifting over to the Bay Area relative to Central Valley habitats than you might see in a wetter year. You mentioned that the San Francisco Bay supports a significant portion. I think you might have even, what was it, over half of the of the diving ducks in that region? Is that right? Correct. So hugely important for diving ducks. Also important for dabblers, we have a a very large number of pintails in the Bay Area, a lot of gadwall, widgeon, mallards, uh, canvasback, scop are some of the most important diving ducks that are using the San Francisco Bay that we see in very large numbers. And then what about scoters? They're in more, I mean, they're diving ducks, but they're kind of in a sea duck category. Uh, They're pretty numerous out there as well, right? Right. So we do have three scoter species, uh, primarily surf scoters using the bay, also uh, white wing and black scoters. However, scoters are declining a little bit in San Francisco Bay. And there's an interesting body of work that John Takakawa and Marina Audubon and others have been doing. Sorry, I think that's Audubon, California, looking at specific herring recruitment, eelgrass populations and scoter declines. And so um, it's an emerging story in conservation, but they think that there's a linkage um, with de- uh, decreasing uh, herring row with the scoter declines in San Francisco Bay. Interesting. Well, in terms of the dive, uh, the other diving ducks, so we talked about the scoters there and sort of their foraging ecology, one of the primary foods there. But for the diving ducks, what are we, what are they going after out there in San Francisco Bay? Well, I think that there are a tremendous array of food sources in the bay. Obviously, they have changed a little bit through time. So, Wild celery used to be super abundant up in San Pablo Bay. It's definitely less abundant now. Our um, submerged aquatic vegetation is definitely a lot less abundant than it was historically. Invertebrates living on that submerged aquatic vegetation. 
are um, definitely dependent on how much there is. Uh, but we do have a large number, fortunately or unfortunately, of non-native invertebrates in San Francisco Bay. And so there is quite a bit of, of forage availability uh, as long as our ducks can be a little bit flexible about what they eat. Renee, let's move up the coast a bit. I think uh, Humboldt Bay was the next place that you spoke about that's important for our coastal conservation efforts. Yes. And so Humboldt Bay is probably best known for the large number of brant that rely on that area. And there are tremendous eelgrass beds up in Humboldt Bay that support brant up there. And um, obviously all of coastal California provides uh, secondary habitat for uh, Pacific flyway species that are using either the Central Valley or San Francisco Bay uh, because they're migrating up and down those corridors. And so both uh, the Humboldt Bay area as well as the Central Coast um, provide valuable stopover areas for those species. Is the Central Coast, or when you when you use that term, are we, are we referring to an area different from San Francisco Bay? Yes. So the work that I mentioned that we're doing in Elkhorn Slough is probably the, the Central Coast is a large area. California is a very large state, but anything stretching from basically just south of San Francisco Bay, so Elkhorn Slough, uh, San Luis Obispo area, um, that would all be considered the central coast. And then what about, what about Sassoon Marsh? Uh, that's what, you know, I spent a few months, maybe a summer out in the Central Valley of California back in the late 90s as a research technician. And I think I had an opportunity to go over to Sassoon Marsh and tour it. And I know that's a historically important area for waterfowl. Do we, uh, does any of your work, uh, occur in that region and or does it fall within one of the areas that we've already talked about? So Sassoon Marsh is a hugely important area for waterfowl and uh, our Delta biologist Aaron Will has that um, area within his conservation region. So is that considered part of our coastal conservation, uh, coastal California conservation efforts or is that treated a little differently? It's treated a little differently. So um, I'm not sure if all the all of the regions do this, but basically for the Western region, we um, have conservation areas where we have teams that focus within those areas because they get to know the resources in those areas really well. And so the San Francisco Bay and uh, Sacramento San Joaquin Delta are obviously a connected ecosystem. And there are a lot of opportunities in all of those areas and so many opportunities that we have the Delta and Sassoon Marsh as one conservation area. And then the San Francisco Bay and Coastal California is another conservation area. Now, you, you talked earlier about how San Francisco Bay and other portions of the California coast can, uh, in certain years, maybe this is shaping up to be one of those years, can serve as a secondary uh, source of habitat for some of the birds that might otherwise or might first go to the Central Valley. And if maybe we have drought conditions in the Central Valley, it, perhaps there won't be as much habitat available for them this year. And so we might see more of these birds uh moving over to the coast, if I understand, if I understood that correctly, what are we, what are we talking about in terms of the number of birds that we're 
likely to see there on the California coast. Do we have any idea of that? You know, that's really hard to get a handle on. I think uh, probably 7 million ballpark uh, waterfowl use the Pacific Flyway um, for San Francisco Bay. The, the single best indicator that we have is the midwinter waterfowl surveys uh, for which the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has been the, one of the primary funders um, but for which funding has been uh, has been cut. And so according to those midwinter waterfowl surveys, you know, I think those numbers are a little bit variable, but we see hundreds of thousands of waterfowl um, primarily using North Bay and South Bay, um, primarily the um, the salt ponds that we've been restoring and existing salt ponds in both North Bay and South Bay, as well as some portions of the open Bay, particularly in North Bay and South Bay. That's a great transition uh, because I wanted to move next to a discussion about some of our habitat conservation work. I realize anytime I ask someone about how many birds are there in a given region, that's <laughs> that's almost an impossible question, but I, <laughs> I nevertheless like to discuss that. Um, and it's impossible for many of the reasons that you talked about. That we Midwinter surveys are oftentimes just, I mean, it's a snapshot, right? And these birds are constantly moving around, but I was just hoping to get some idea of uh, oh yeah, of the numbers that we're able that we might see there, and so uh, that's 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 about as good as we can do. And I thank you for that. So let's move to the uh, to a discussion of the type of habitat projects that DU is involved in, and let's start with the San Francisco Bay. You kind of introduced a couple of those, so expand a bit more on the type of work that we do there, what those projects look like, because you know this is it's an area that as I introduced, is not thought of terribly often, uh, certainly once you get east of the Rockies as being uh, being important for waterfowl. So help us understand what we're doing out there. Well, what a great opportunity to introduce um, a really eye-opening glimpse into waterfowl in San Francisco Bay. So thank you for that. Um, so I think a lot of the work that we do really did start with the gold rush. So when folks came out back in 49 onward to look for gold, there started to be population centers and a demand for salt production uh, as Europeans came in and colonized the area. And so that demand for salt production, um, basically Native Americans had done some cultivation for salt uh, particularly near the city of Hayward in, uh, in the South San Francisco Bay. And uh, that turned into an industrial salt production process once European settlers came in. Um, and that process grew over time. And so there have been a couple of large-scale acquisitions of what were historically Baylands fringing San Francisco Bay that were converted for salt production. And um, basically, state and federal partners acquired those lands, uh, about uh, 11,000 plus acres up in the North San Francisco Bay and another 15,000 acres in South San Francisco Bay. So those present one very large scale set of opportunities. Another of the really big opportunities that we have is uh, agricultural lands. So you might be surprised to hear, or, or maybe not since you've been here, 
but there are still tremendous amounts of open space around San Francisco Bay. And a lot of the continued um, presence of open space is either attributable to salt production or to uh, lands that are farmed for oat hay. So dry land farmed oat hay fields. And so I think by and large, those are our single greatest opportunities at the present time. Of course, moving into the future, there may be additional opportunities that uh, come before us as well. Now, Renee, I want to I want to explore this the salt pond issues a, a bit more because I've I'm reasonably familiar with the work that's gone on out there, having worked for the Gulf Coast Joint Venture for a number of years. We oftentimes interacted with our colleagues out there in the San Francisco Bay Joint Venture, and we got to hear about some of the very unique projects that they were involved in. And I know there are some of the same. We partnered with them on these projects, and for. For people that uh, that are interested, I would encourage. There's another one of those times where I encourage. I will encourage our listeners when you have time in the evening, or if you're sitting at your computer listening to this, go on to Google Earth and zoom in to San Francisco Bay. And at the south end of that bay, Renee, you tell me if this is correct. But you will very quickly, if you're looking at the aerial imagery, you will see some. Uh, reddish rust color, color, colored areas that just that stick out right along the bay. Those are current salt ponds or salt production areas, right? Correct. Yes. And if you fly into San Francisco airport, you will see them very clearly and you'll know that you picked the right seat by the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now, now the salt production, it, it, is it just sort of the old fashioned, you, you dike off an area and you pump some of the water in there and you let it evaporate and what you're left with is, is sea salt? Is it, is, it, is it that simple of a process? For the most part, it is that simple. So down in the South Bay, they uh, relied on solar evaporation, moving water from through a series of ponds uh, as it became more and more salty until eventually they had... Uh, basically a nice heavy brine that they would let um, crystallize out. And once it did form crystals, that would be harvested and uh, shipped off to the various markets. In the North Bay, it's a, a little bit different because there wasn't enough um, solar, uh, incident solar radiation. So up there, it was more of a wind-driven process and the the footprint of the ponds in the North Bay to get from basically bay salinity to salt production is a larger footprint than it is on the south in the South Bay. And in contrast, like if you move to the Caribbean, it's even a much smaller. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Smaller footprint. So the salt ponds were built, and the ones that, yeah, were built in... Uh, in areas that were historically coastal wetlands, right? I mean, that's they, the coastal wetlands that were there. And you can see some of these on the imagery. You can see the remnants of some of these coastal wetlands. But the areas where we still see the footprints of these salt ponds, it's, that was historically coastal marsh. Is that right? 
Right. And I think a lot of these areas were farmed first. So they were reclaimed for agriculture. Uh, So these berms were constructed around what they call islands. But, you know, think about just kind of a marshy system and where there were channels, they would build up a berm at the edge of that and then reclaim that to to farm it. And um, and, you know, in some cases, very shortly thereafter, some of those areas were put into salt production. Uh, it's possible that that some of them did not have uh, preceding farming. I'm not totally sure about that. Um, but in the North Bay, a lot of those areas were claimed for agriculture and were in agricultural production for about 50 years prior or more prior to being converted for salt production. What's the status of salt production there in the Bay? Is it still a, uh, a viable business or are you starting to see it contract a bit? I think it definitely has contracted a bit and that's why we have some of the opportunities that we do have, but it is a continuing business, um, particularly in the South Bay. There are some uh, existing ponds that are still in operation for salt production. Well, let's talk about the how we take those opportunities and convert them into wetland restoration projects. Uh, if we, if we, how do we, how do we learn about the these opportunities where maybe a salt production pond is no longer being used? I mean, what does that look like? And then, you know, from sort of start to finish, and then what type of activities do we use in a restoration project there in the San Francisco Bay? <laughs> Those are some big answers to those questions. Um, (laughs) Well, I I think uh, some of this goes to we have some really um, well uh, grounded partnerships with uh, public agencies that want to restore large tracts of land uh, all over the U.S., of course. But in San Francisco Bay, uh, California Department of Fish and Wildlife and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are the two Uh, organizations that became the recipients of these salt ponds. And we've been engaged from very early days in the planning for restoration of uh, these former salt ponds. And exactly what that looks like kind of depends on what the landscape around these salt ponds are. And so up in the North Bay, a lot of the the salt ponds themselves were uh, islands. And so it basically was a pretty simple operation once the environmental compliance and permitting were completed to to go in and cut some holes in the levees, in some cases lower down sections of the surrounding levees, and uh, let the sediments come in on the tides. Um, that's obviously a, a very simplified version of what we did, but because they were islands, there wasn't necessarily a lot of surrounding infrastructure that we had to worry about. And kind of similarly for some of the earlier work we've done down in the South Bay, um, passive restoration by lowering, selectively lowering levees, cutting holes in those levees to let the sediments come in on the tides and reconnect historic channel networks uh, has been a really relatively low cost, relatively quick way to start the restoration trajectory for those ponds. Um, As we move to kind of the next tier, we're working on South Bay Salt Pond Restoration Project Phase 2 planning right now with a a number of other partners. 
And uh, that's the largest wetland restoration project on the, the West Coast at 15,100 acres for South Bay Salt Pond Restoration Project as a whole. Uh, we're, we're looking at projects that are closer to the urban interface and closer to the population centers. San Francisco Bay has a population of, you know, a little bit under 8 million, 7.5 million residents. Most of them are focused around the South San Francisco Bay and up on the peninsula. And so as we go into that next tier of projects, we're doing a, a lot more upfront planning work to make sure that we are uh, basically maintaining the existing level of protections for those communities, as well as carrying forward the restoration uh, project as a whole. What type of footprint in terms of area do, you th- do we have, uh, does Ducks Unlimited have with regard to wetland restoration in San Francisco Bay? Do you have that number offhand? I might be catching you off guard with that. I can take a guess. Um, you know, I think it's it's somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen to twenty thousand acres. So it's a, a pretty substantial footprint. Okay, of existing restoration, but that wouldn't include the other project that you just talked about. It would include parts of it, but not all of it. So uh, that fifteen thousand one hundred acres is basically. Um, being planned in groups because a lot of species came to rely on those salt ponds for habitat. And some of them are federally protected species like the uh, Western snowy plover. And there's a trade-off as we convert habitats to think about what are we displacing with this restoration versus what are we benefiting? And so that's a very carefully planned process with a pretty extensive Uh, monitoring and adaptive management framework to think about, okay, given the lessons learned from this first suite of projects in, in the ballpark neighborhood of of 5,000 acres, let's take this next phase two set of projects and let's continue to monitor and learn and feed that information back in. So the, the phase one restoration uh, projects have been completed and uh, we, Ducks Unlimited partnered on a number of the individual elements within that. And we're now working on the phase two planning. It's likely that there will be a phase three. And, and then, you know, I think we'll, we'll see. Renee, that's, a, that's another excellent transition here. I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about some of the partners that we work with. You've already mentioned a couple of them, but I, I spoke about the San Francisco Bay Joint Venture a few minutes ago. Uh, how, how closely tied are we to them in, this, in our overall conservation efforts out there? And who are some of the other important partners that we need to recognize? Well, we work very closely with the San Francisco Bay Joint Venture. And in fact, we're working with them right now on their implementation plan revision. Um, And we work with them in all different capacities, ranging from conservation delivery to uh, policy questions to funding opportunities. And uh, definitely they are excellent partners. Um, I mentioned already that we're working with uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and California Department of Fish and Wildlife as our largest landowning partners um, throughout this region. Uh, We work quite a bit with uh, Sonoma Land Trust up in the North San Francisco Bay. Uh, There's some up and coming efforts for Petaluma River and Sonoma Creek, particularly in the lower reaches of each of those uh, tributaries to the bay. And um, 
Peninsula Open Space Trust has been a great partner down at Bear Island. There's another upcoming uh, opportunity in Coyote Valley that we are hoping to partner with them on. Uh, Elkhorn Slough Foundation is a great partner down on the Central Coast. Um, up north in uh, Humboldt Bay, we're working uh, again with California Department of Fish and Wildlife. There's an upcoming project at Ocean Ranch, um, which is also a tidal wetland restoration project similar to the ones were, that I mentioned in the San Francisco Bay. Um, and then we have a, a suite of funding partners that are maybe somewhat atypical for Ducks Unlimited. Uh, we have several state funding partners from the California Coastal Conservancy and Wildlife Conservation Board, the department, uh, to regional measures like the San Francisco Bay Restoration Authority. They passed Measure AA, and that provides funding for restoration projects around San Francisco Bay. Uh, as well as federal partners that maybe Ducks Unlimited partners with uh, more broadly, such as uh, definitely the, the NACA program, but also coastal wetlands uh, through the um, coastal wetland grant program, the US EPA, uh, NOAA has been a great partner, uh, as well as in some cases, uh, we've received money from federal highways uh, for some some work we did up in the North San Francisco Bay. What about uh, what about any of the major corporations out there? I know with our growing uh, growing emphasis within Ducks Unlimited on ecosystem services, you know, uh, highlighting the many benefits that wetlands provide beyond just waterfowl habitat and the you know the simultaneous growth in. Sort of, uh, environmental stewardship and sustainability um, initiatives within corporate America. Are we have we made any uh, any inroads with some of the corporations out there in that region? We definitely have um, have worked with several corporations and partnered with them on some of our projects. We just received a grant from Philip sixty six for some of our North Bay work. Uh, we um, have a new opportunity with Microsoft. I think that is. Um, is basically uh, just one conservation area over, but want to mention that, uh, you know, and I think that there are, um, there are lots of opportunities to work with corporations. We do have um, Facebook as a partner down on our, um, one of our South Bay Salt Pond restoration projects. I would definitely like to see more engagement from some of the the tech firms down in that area, and and hopefully we'll get there. Renee, I, before I forget, I do want to well, I want to say thank you for all that work you've been you've been a um, a leadership force out in the San Francisco Bay behind a lot of those projects, and I also want to acknowledge and make people aware that you are one of the inaugural recipients of Ducks Unlimited's Excellence in Conservation War. Uh, Excellence in Conservation Award. So thank you for all of that. Congratulations on, on being a recipient of that award. I, I know it's well-deserved and the work that you've talked about here with us is um, is an example of, of why and all those inroads that we have made uh, is part of the reason why you were recognized for those achievements. So thank you and congratulations. Well, thank you. It's very humbling to, to be the recipient of that award and it's definitely a team effort and couldn't do it without the 
the rest of the team and the support of Ducks Unlimited. So we've talked about San Francisco Bay and its uniqueness with regard to some of the wetland restoration projects that we've done. San Francisco Bay is also unique in how heavily urbanized it is relative to some of the other areas where we work. And so that's logically going to come with sort of a different group of stakeholders, a group of different group of supporters. We think about a lot of our other regions and uh, waterfowl hunters are some of our biggest supporters there. How much how much waterfowl hunting is even um, available uh, there in San Francisco Bay? And then what does our supporter constituency look like in within the San Francisco Bay? You know, I think you would be surprised and some residents around the Bay sometimes are that there is quite a lot <laughs> of, um, of opportunity for hunting around San Francisco Bay. And I think the opportunities are increasing and you might be aware that there is a tremendous hunting heritage in San Francisco Bay. Um, going back to to those early days with market hunting, bringing uh, waterfowl in for the restaurants in San Francisco uh, with celebrities coming to hunt up in, in North Bay. And, and definitely a lot has changed since then. But um, I definitely hear from hunters about the, the rebounds that they're seeing in waterfowl populations in the Bay Area. And that's a, a really fun um, conversation to, to get to have. But as you said, there are lots of um, different benefits that the projects we're doing provide. And so there are a whole suite of ecosystem services such as sea level rise resilience, uh, carbon sequestration, flood protection, water quality benefits, uh, there's open space. There are recreational values for those seven and a half plus million people around San Francisco Bay, um, as well as benefits to lots of different species, ranging from uh, salmon and Dungeness crab that people like to eat to uh, charismatic species like leopard sharks and bat rays and seals uh, to cute little salt marsh harvest mice um, that can can actually swim really well. Um, and, and other endangered species like Ridgeway's rail. So I think we have a, a whole gamut of really compelling reasons to keep doing the work that we're doing. And, uh, and the waterfowl are, are definitely showing up when we restore habitat. I have to think that San Francisco Bay is a really exciting place to work right now for Ducks Un for someone within Ducks Unlimited because of our growth in our ecosystem services um, efforts. We There was a recent article in a Ducks Unlimited magazine. I collaborated with our ecosystem services scientist, uh, Dr. Ellen Herbert, on that particular article. And we spoke about the history of DU as being rooted in providing wetlands for and other habitats for waterfowl. And that's going to always be our our focus. We're always going to keep that as our primary mission. But increasingly, we're looking, we're finding opportunities, as you've described here, to bring in additional supporters on the basis of these other benefits that our wetland conservation provides. And so San Francisco Bay offers, offers a unique opportunity to really see that happen and to make, to make that happen. And then, of course, our responsibility as, as the science and conservation uh, component of Ducks Unlimited is to ensure that the areas where we are working uh, are beneficial to waterfowl uh, as and while also providing these these other benefits and so that's it's kind of it's really neat to hear that we've been able to do that in San Francisco Bay and it's also really rewarding and confirmatory you might say by us seeing a response positive response in waterfowl populations and that tells us that we can 
conserve res- conserve wetlands, restore wetlands in highly urbanized landscapes, while also uh, providing the needs that waterfowl um, that waterfowl have, and then drawing in additional supporters on the basis of these other benefits. So has that, has it been as exciting as I kind of made it sound uh, for, for you to be part of this in that region? I would say absolutely. It, it is a really, um, really rewarding place to work and really rewarding to be able to see, you know, I, I'm thinking about a particular boat ride where I came around the corner on one of those ponds we were stored up in North San Francisco Bay and you know, probably 3000 pintail flushed up out of that pond. And, and, you know, it's just really cool to be able to see that. And, um, and at the same time to, to be able to see, uh, we recently came up on the five-year anniversary of one of our North Bay projects at Sears Point, uh, with the Sonoma Land Trust. And, and so we went out there to take a look at the site and, the, the amount of sediment that has come into that site in the past five years is just amazing. It's one of the fastest restoration projects I've seen all around the Bay and it is directly connected to the Bay. So it's, it's a little bit, um, unusual in that regard, but definitely not unique. Uh, and, uh, it really has a tremendous, uh, array of habitat features and, uh, just, a tremendous number of waterfowl out using that site, shorebirds, fisheries use, um, and lots of people out there. It happens to be the headquarters for the San Pablo Bay National Wildlife Refuge. So um, definitely things are, are slowed down with the current uh, closures related to, to COVID-19, but they are still getting a lot of use out there. I did want to ask you about some of our restoration projects in one of the other regions. Um, but before I did that, I, I will give you an opportunity to mention anything else about our work in San Francisco Bay that we wanted to cover before we move on. I guess the one thing I would say is, you know, it, it definitely is a little bit slower to deliver projects in San Francisco Bay. Um, there is a lot of um, planning and and environmental compliance and, uh, permitting to, to navigate through. Um, and once we finally get to that end stage when we're moving the dirt, that is just um, a really exciting thing. So... Well, let's briefly talk about a our, an example of our conservation work in one of the other areas, and I'll let you choose uh, and maybe pick your pick a favorite project. I don't want to say the favorite project because we all have multiple favorites. Pick <laughs> a favorite project from one of those other two areas, and just to give people an idea of the type of conservation, the type of wetland restoration projects they were involved in uh, out there along the California coast. Well, I think I'm gonna. I won't pick a favorite, but I I am going to zoom you down to the Elkhorn Slough because what we're doing there is a little bit unique. We're working in partnership with the Elkhorn Slough Foundation and California Department of Fish and Wildlife down there. Uh, And we're working within a national estuarine reserve. There are a lot of uh, marine mammals that use that area. So think about seals and uh, otters and, um, in that particular area, they, um, we're doing somewhat similar work to what we do in San Francisco Bay with tidal wetland restoration, but we're, um, basically the, the, the wetlands that are existing down there 
have eroded so that they are a little bit low. They're more like mud flat elevation rather than wetland elevation. And so we are basically actively adding sediments into those areas to restore them to tidal wetlands. We are then coming in and and excavating out very sinuous and complex channel networks and then continuing to partner with the foundation to um, to advance that work in more stretches of the estuary down there. And the foundation has been very proactive in, in the research that they're doing to document and take lessons learned from that and uh, combine that with research in other areas to inform the state of understanding of tidal wetland research on the coast. And um, it's just been a really uh, interesting partnership opportunity down there. Renee, is the area where that project is occurring uh, near a place called Moss Landing State Wildlife Area by chance? It is. That's another one of my favorite projects. And I ask that because I am I am right now on Google Earth kind of navigating around trying to see if I can see the uh, the footprint of some of the work that you're talking about there. And and again, I would encourage other people to do so as well. Uh, you can just type in Elkhorn Slough and it will take you right down there to Monterey Bay and the particular area that, that Renee is speaking about. And I think it's just very instructional and educational to see the different landscapes in which these wetlands occur and the and where where we find waterfowl and where we um, where we do our work and so this is a pretty unique area and it it offers a, a glimpse into into a location and some type of conservation work that is uh, you know not necessarily uh, well it's rather unique in what we do so anything uh, let's see anything else to add about the work that we're doing there down there you know I think that it's very exemplar of the challenges facing our coastal wetlands um, in some cases uh, the challenges in Elkhorn Slough are related to kind of historic changes in hydrology down there but also exacerbated by sea level rise and I think that there are continued opportunities to increase resilience of our coastal wetlands. And the more we can be really uh, thoughtful, but also proactive, I think the more likely that we are to, to continue to have those habitats into the future, to sequester carbon, to protect our coasts and to provide the species benefits that, that we need them to. Thank you, Renee, for uh, for all the great information that you've provided today. Thank you for for the great work that you do for Ducks Unlimited. And again, congratulations on the Excellence in Conservation Award. Uh, it's, it's certainly well-deserved. And um, yeah, thanks for providing some insight into an area that most folks don't think about as being, um, being an area where we at Ducks Unlimited are investing a fair, fair bit of work. Well, it has been a tremendous pleasure. Thank you so much. A special thanks to our guest on today's show, Dr. Renee Spence, Ducks Unlimited Regional Biologist for San Francisco Bay and the California Coast. We greatly appreciate her taking the time to tell us about an area that that is uh, unique and very important to waterfowl nonetheless. Additionally, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the work that he does on this podcast, getting these edited and out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for your time. and We thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. <laughs>